I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I am a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland, and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness. And they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you. I'm Donald McIntyre and this is Click for Murder, the companion podcast to CBS Reality's new television series. Now, throughout this series, we're revealing some of the most disturbing crimes of recent history, where the internet has been used as a tool to trick, torture and to kill innocent victims lured into a virtual world where nothing is quite what it seems. Well, on today's episode, we're looking at the case of Michael Roberts, a serial adulterer and sex addict who strangled his wife, Vicky, after she discovered his infidelity. But what drove Michael to kill Vicky? And what role did the internet and social media play in this killing? Well, joining me to discuss this intriguing case are Dr Elizabeth Yardley, the Director of the Centre for Applied Criminology at Birmingham City University. Welcome, Liz. Hello. And uh, clinical forensic psychologist, Mike Berry. Welcome. Thank you. Vicky Roberts was a carefree, church-going girl who grew up alongside her brother and sister in Cheshire. She worked at a local Ikea where she met the man who would later become her husband, Michael Roberts. Michael was a bit lanky, slightly gawky, but certainly a very confident young man, especially around women. When I'm looking at his behaviour, there's, there's nothing inherently problematic in, in being somebody who likes women. You know, that's absolutely fine. But I think when we start using those terms, Jack the lad, you know, he's a bit of a one for the ladies. We're kind of excusing his behaviour in a way in order to, to kind of put it to one side, essentially. So all the way throughout the evolution of this case, you've got him seeing various women at the same time. And I think in the background where we've got that expectation that, that it's OK for some men to behave like this, that's what allows it to, to go on for as long as it did. What are the traits we're witnessing now? What we're seeing is a high level of need to be satisfied, to have adventures, a very high level of impulsivity, I suspect. Those are the characteristics that he's showing. But ironically, those are also the characteristics that make him quite attractive to women. Women like bad men to start with, that they can change and turn into good men and they fail. Exactly. He's a project, isn't he, for, for a lot of women who want to come and tame him and, and look after him and, and probably feel a bit of sympathy for him. They think that he's damaged and, and they want to fix him. So the traits we can coalesce around are he's uh, manipulative, he's a practised liar, he is uh, impulsive, 
and clearly insecure and with an apparent, you know, very high prolific sex drive. Yeah, th- this starts to make him a bit of a worry. I mean, still, he's still not at the moment ringing bells for being a murderer, but when he gets more involved in the relationships and he has to try to keep those balls up in the air, then he starts to become more dangerous. Well, taking that on, Vicky and Michael's relationship certainly developed very quickly and passionately. And it seems that Michael had an insatiable appetite for sex and would often brag that they were having sex up to five times a day. So are we looking at somebody for whom sex is a drug, Liz? I think for, for Robert, sex is something he feels entitled to. He feels that he has a right to this. He's got these needs, he's got these wants, he's got these desires, and, and he just simply wants to fulfil them. But I think in early stages of a sexual relationship, people do go a bit mad. Three, four, five times a day is not unheard of. I think it goes off after about a month to six weeks. It starts to slow down a bit. When real life gets back into it, you haven't got the time for sex for five times a day. You've got other things to do, like work and family life and everything else. I think it trails off. In any case, it seems very early on that something happened that severely impacted their relationship and their sex life. Michael claimed later that Vicky fell pregnant and had an abortion and that as a result their sex life dwindled. However, there appears to have been no record of any abortion. In an attempt to try and rekindle things in the bedroom, Vicky then agreed, according to Roberts, to engage in kinky, rough sex. Now, this represents an escalation of something, Liz. Yeah, he's somebody who's got that need for for stimulation. He's got a a sort of proneness to boredom, essentially. So he's someone who's quite hedonistic and he's always wanting to to enjoy himself and, and he's pushing the boundaries. So when you say pushing the boundaries, we're talking about kinky rough sex. That was the, the phrase uh, used. Why is he interested in this? Well, one of the problems is one man's kinky rough sex is not necessarily another man's kinky rough sex. But what we have is somebody who needs to be excited and increase and escalate that excitement. I suspect he gets bored quite quickly and therefore he wants to move on. What kind of character is now revealing itself to us? It's somebody who is escalating, isn't it? It's someone who has got these wants and got these desires that that he wants to fulfil, and he's doing it in in increasingly extreme ways. Soon, rather predictably, Michael's eye starts to wander, and he gets a new job at a local Phones for You store, and he noticed a co-worker called Kerry. And journalist Liz Hull takes up the story. Robert's engaged in an affair with a woman he met at Phones for You, who had been enlisted to train him. This woman called Kerry described how they had an intense sexual relationship. Uh, she was a single mother, but he often visited her at her home and they enjoyed gymnastic sex. I mean, this is now the person who we've seen from the very start. He's manipulative, he's got a high sex drive, he's evasive, he's obviously a practised liar... He still is that persona Jack the Lad. Yeah, but he's displaying more and more psychopathic traits here of lack of any emotion, mimicking emotion. So he's probably showing the right face to the right person at the right time, but doesn't give a monkey's about the underlying emotions. Is Kerry the answer to his fantasies at this stage? Because we know the sex was rough and at one time we understand he bites her breasts and actually draws blood. What does that tell you about this relationship? It's how he reacted afterwards to to this particular incident that I find interesting because he didn't say sorry, he didn't apologise, he didn't seem to feel bad about it. 
And I think even when you have people who are engaged in, in this type of sexual behaviour, if it goes too far, they'll feel bad and they'll say, I'm sorry, and, and that kind of thing. But there was, there was no remorse whatsoever. He, he apparently likes throttling Kerry, and this is a kind of a quite an extraordinary uh, escalation in terms of the, their sexual gymnastics, as they say. I, 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 in my professional capacity, I've come across a lot of men who strangle women. They find it enhances their sex response to the female. It also gives them the power and the control and the, the excitement they have in that. Now, Liz, I'm not imposing a moral map on whatever consenting adults do in their own bedroom, but uh, uh, the normality of this sex now is certainly, you know, it's certainly pushing some extremes. When you look at it together with his previous behaviour, the type of behaviour he's exhibiting around relationships, the fact that he doesn't seem to care that he's got more than one woman going on at the same time, I think when you look at it all in conjunction with each other, all of these different factors, so the fact he has an appetite for rough sex, the fact that, that he sees women as, as his kind of possessions that he picks up and uses and throws away. Looking at that all together, then that starts to become a bit concerning. Despite Michael taking every opportunity to indulge in that affair, he and Vicky still set a date to get married. Vicky thought she was marrying the man of her dreams, but she didn't know that at the same time, Michael was bombarding his lover with illicit messages. But soon Vicky became suspicious and decided to check his messages on his phone and Facebook. The evidence was clear. He was having an affair. She was naturally distraught. But desperate to save the relationship, she sent a letter to Michael asking him to change his ways. Why a letter rather than a direct confrontation, Liz? I think by this point in the relationship, she knows that he's quite charming, that he can be quite manipulative and that it would be quite difficult to see him face to face and actually have a conversation about this because he'd probably interrupt. He'd probably try and put a different spin on it. But in writing a letter, she gets to get all of her thoughts out there without any interruptions. At this stage, this relationship, is she in too deep? She feels she can't quite get out? No, she can't get out because she's invested a lot. She thinks she can change him. He is such a charmer that he will say to her, yes, I'll give her the, the other woman up. It's you that I love. He will give her all the right words, all the right messages, and she will be a sucker for it. And she will believe that the guy who's cheating on her isn't the real Roberts. The real Roberts is that lovely, charming, handsome guy who's kind of breezed into her life in the beginning. And this is why she persists with the relationship. This is why she overcomes this hurdle of of infidelity. And she, she forgives him because I think that that's part of her, her value system as well. She's a good person. She she likes to see the best in people and she believes in second chances and that's something that he's going to take advantage of. So in this digital world, she didn't have to be some extraordinary detective to discover you know, the details about his infidelity. No, she didn't. It was just a case of looking at what was going on on his Facebook. But I think at the same time, he wasn't particularly bothered that he was leaving this big trail of evidence behind him because he didn't essentially feel bad about the fact he was having these affairs. Previously, you know, without Facebook and without our phones, which carry all our secrets and all our banking details and personal details, it would have been pretty difficult to find out about an affair like this. Yeah, in the old days, she would either ask her friends, she might even have time to go and uh, sit outside his workplace. The very desperate people would have actually employed a private investigator to follow it up and things like that. And then she might have checked maybe his credit cards and seen he's had expensive meals or hotels for two when it should have been one and things like that. 
but it would have been a slow process, an expensive process. Nowadays, she just gets hold of his account on his Facebook or whatever and can see how many messages he's given. And I find it fascinating that these men give thousands and thousands of text messages. You would have thought they would have used their brain and left no trail. All they seem to do is actually be so arrogant as not to worry. And Roberts doesn't care, does he, about her finding out about these these other women. He he doesn't worry that this is going to upset her, this is going to devastate her. That's just not something that, that comes onto his He's radar. He's a really selfish individual. No, she is not going to leave him. He knows that. Therefore, he's got the upper hand. If it was the other way round and she said, well, stuff you, I'm off, sunshine, he would have played a different game. But he's arrogant enough and maybe good enough at, at what he's doing to know that he's going to win. Well, he appears to be the arch manipulator. Michael said he would indeed change, and so the couple married in June 2009. But soon, as you'd expect, he was back on the prowl. Bored with Kerry, he ended that affair and then set his sights on seducing a new conquest. Karen worked in the same company as Michael and she'd a fiancé, but said she was unhappy in the relationship. Well, Michael told her he was also unhappy in his marriage. He used Facebook and text to send Karen messages that became more and more flirtatious and more numerous, often hundreds a day, Liz. I mean, this is now moving into something psychotic, pathological. I mean, it really is hundreds of texts a day. It is incredibly intense, isn't it? And I think he's quite enjoying this because he knows that this is a space in in which he can kind of gain a little bit of control over these women. He can get them to to do the things that that he wants. And it's a kind of, it's a seductive tool as well. If you're constantly bombarding somebody with compliments and with nice messages, it really does get them where you want them. I mean, this is really grooming, Michael. You're very strong on this. What he's doing is using the internet to do his grooming, instead of doing it over days, weeks, he's doing it over a day. And that's the whole thing about the internet, is that you can do grooming very, very quickly. If you're getting 100 messages a day, that's more than what you would get in a couple of weeks of letter writing. Mm. Impact, impact, impact. Is he obsessed with her, or is he just still obsessed with himself? He's obsessed with the process, I think, of pursuing women, of getting them to, to do what he wants them to do. And I think it's part of his his hedonistic kind of attitude. He wants to have fun. He wants to to gain pleasure. And and he really doesn't care who gets in his way. Well, over the next few weeks, the pair would meet regularly. And in November, just months after his marriage to Vicky, they started a sexual relationship. They would meet in hotels or have sex in a sports car. Michael also bombarded Karen with messages. In one month, he sent over 5,000, often sending them while he was with his wife or even having dinner with his in-laws. Now, this is now stretching even beyond the bounds of normal, rational Facebook seduction, Liz. I mean, this is now beginning to be problematic. I mean, when we, we look at the, the facts of this, the, the fact that you can be sitting around having dinner with your in-laws and at the same time, you know, conducting this illicit affair, you know, using Facebook, using the internet. But, but yeah, if you look at the volume, over 5,000 messages in the space of one month, that's an awful lot. So, so he really is kind of ramping it up here. Isn't, isn't he getting a particular frisson out of seducing and cheating on his wife in front of his in-laws in their company. Yeah, he's getting his rocks off on that. I mean, I, I'm just amazed that he has the nerve to do that. He must have some 
set of stories that he can tell them. Should he have been caught, he would have said, oh, I'm contacting her because it's work or whatever. And that's the advantage having, he's got. Having a work relationship, he can contact her and say, it's work. If it was a girlfriend in a different setting, he wouldn't have that flexibility. So we talk about red flags. Now, if you're kind of distilling who Michael Roberts is at this stage... You know, what kind of picture do you paint of him? Are we now marching him on the way to being a potential murderer? He's getting more and more impulsive. The fact that he wants rough sex, he's escalating in his sexual behaviour. He's becoming, I think, isolated from reality in some ways because he's becoming obsessed with his obsessions. That isolates him from the rest of the world. He is beginning to lead two different lives here. And is comfortable with that. And that's the the thing that stands out for me. It's the fact that he's comfortable with it. It's the fact that this is okay. It's the fact that he feels entitled to do it. He doesn't care if anybody's going to come to harm through his behaviour. On November 21st, eight days before Vicky's death, Karen texted Michael to say she'd ended her relationship with her fiancé so she could be with him. He texted back to say that he had left his wife and was now living at his parents' house. Here isn't it all about instant gratification. He's basically saying, she's free, I'm going to say whatever I need in the moment Mm. to keep you happy and I'm still going to have you and I'm still going to have uh, Vicky. Exactly. He's saying exactly what she wants to hear so that he can fulfil his wants and his desires in that moment. I don't think he's thinking very far ahead at this point in time. Yeah, this is absolutely right. He's saying... Whatever she wants to hear, he'll do that for a while. And then the plan, I imagine, would be when she gets a bit clingy, he dumps her. Back at home, Michael's behaviour began to arouse Vicky's suspicions once again. He was spending an inordinate amount of time online and he would fly into a rage if Vicky ever challenged him on this. Now, with her doubts mounting, once again, Vicky decided to read her husband's Facebook messages. And it was clear to her that he was having an affair again. Now, she began to print out pages of her husband's secret correspondence and also decided to spy on him at work. She also discovered hotel receipts in his wallet. She had the evidence. Why didn't she kick him out? Well, she's invested so much in this relationship. They're married now. They've been together for, for a while. And, and I think potentially she's, she's also worried about other people's judgments of, of their relationship because she takes it as failure on her part if her relationship breaks down. She's taken it all on her own shoulders. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. 
Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland, and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness. And they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you. There's something empowering in Vicky's own DIY investigation here. And that, I think, is making her dangerous. What do you think of that, Liz? I think this is getting into a very risky set of circumstances for her because what she's doing is she's attempting to take control back. And Roberts is not somebody who who likes women being in the driving seat. He's the one who likes to decide what happens and when it happens. But there's no suggestion here, from her point of view, that she's worried about him attacking her. You get the impression she's worried about him charming her and convincing her that it's all lies, and that's why she's got the evidence. I, I can't see anything here that would make her feel uncomfortable that he's going to kill her. What's interesting here is there's no direct lead-up. There's no apparent traditional forms of domestic abuse, but we're seeing other forms of domestic abuse if we tr- t- interpret it in the wider and more acceptable sense now, which is about power, control, manipulation. This is one of the, the mistakes that, that we've made for many years, both as criminologists and as society more generally. We use this thing called the violence myth. So unless there's violence, we don't believe that it's abuse. But what's been going on here in this relationship is abusive because he's cheating on his wife. He's being incredibly manipulative, incredibly controlling of her. And that is abuse. And I think we really do need to recognise that because this guy doesn't just snap. It doesn't just happen out of the blue. It's an escalation of behaviour. On the morning of her murder, Vicky used her laptop to look up a hotel that Michael had stayed in with Karen. She then decided to take action. Journalists Mark Smith and Liz Hull describe what happened. Vicky confronted him with some printouts of Facebook messages between him and Karen and also some uh, receipts from a hotel where they both stayed. They argued and it's thought that she threatened to tell his parents that he'd been cheating on his new wife. That appears to have been the tipping point. Well, it seems that when confronted by Vicky, Michael flipped and then strangled her. And she resisted, but he was simply too strong. Did he flip? What was the reason for his rage? I mean, he he could have just taken on the chin, walked out and started a new relationship. No, he didn't flip. He didn't flip at all. Often we look at these these things as coming out of the blue, as these guys having lost it. But what he's doing here is he's doing what he's always done, and that's exerting control. The thing is, he's being confronted by his wife, who's not going to take any more of this. And he basically changes the project from one in which he's trying to control her by keeping her in the relationship to one in which he's he's seeking to destroy her for wanting to leave it. No, I disagree. I think here we've got a classic impulsivity act. He's being pressurised by a push to the point and he does an explosive piece of violence. What I find interesting, he made no attempt to hide it. So we haven't got the classic, oh, I've got to get rid of the wife so I can marry the mistress game. He doesn't try to kill his wife in any logical, 
methodical way at all. It's just an act of impulsivity. Well, Liz, what's extraordinary is his actions after he killed Vicky. He's phoned his lover, Karen, and for two hours they chat about mundane subjects like the X Factor. This is some really separation from reality. It appears to be, doesn't it? But what's going on here is that Roberts has solved a problem. So rather than looking at it as, I've killed my wife, I feel terrible about it. No, that's not what is going on in his head at all. He's solved a problem because she's been confronting him, she's been nagging him and annoying him and and trying to make him accountable for his behaviour. And he's made that problem go away. And he really doesn't care. He doesn't have empathy. So, So he's just moving on, essentially, very quickly. The day after the murder, Michael then goes shopping and meets his lover for sex at a travelodge in Bangor. And then perhaps reality hits home. The next day he turned up late for work and told a colleague that Vicky had left him. He also sent a text message to Vicky's phone saying, how's your day going? And then sends other texts to friends and family, all in an attempt to prove that she was still alive so as not to alert anyone. Now, um, this is not a very sophisticated attempt at covering up a murder, Mike. No, it's a very poor attempt. And again, it shows that he hadn't planned to kill her. His act was impulsive. He's much more interested in now trying to find some way of solving his problem. But he's not using much sense at all. He should know that you can trace text messages, that he can all those things can be done quite quickly by the internet. We know he's lying. I think he's so arrogant at this point in time. Mm. He's killed his wife. It's been a day or so, and nobody's cottoned on to this yet. So I think he is feeling quite powerful at this point in time. On December 1st, Michael began to set about disposing of Vicky's body. He goes to a local supermarket and buys sponges and sacks. And we know from the CCTV that he appeared to be very calm during this very gruesome shopping trip, even casually munching on crisps. I mean, again, no emotion here. This is the psychopath that we saw in development, evolving in the early stages of his behaviour. Oh, without any doubt, psychopathic behaviour here. He's just not bothered, really. He's got a problem. She's a problem. And I sound it's awful saying that about her, but she's the problem. And he's got to dispose of the problem. And it could be just putting the garbage out in the waste bin approach to him. But just rationally, I mean, what's going through his mind? Does he not think he'll be on CCTV, that his transactions you know, uh, will be caught on his financial records? No, it's surprising how many people don't realise that we have uh, one of the most CCTV-covered countries in the world. People just don't seem to recognise it. It also shows some of his stupidity because he worked in a shop where surely there was CCTV. He should know that, but he doesn't bother. But on the other hand, you could argue that he is just being very calm because it's it's a normal day. He's not showing any of the post-incident behaviour and anxiety and stress that we would expect him to show. He's actually being very calm, and that would be his strength in terms of when the police look at him he is acting normal, where most people do not act normal after doing an impulsive killing. Mm. And I think this this is indicative of, of psychopaths being what I call prisoners of the present. So they're living very much in the present moment. They have a lot of difficulty reflecting on the past. They also have a lot of difficulty projecting into the future. And when you have these these things going on, you do tend to see this kind of behaviour that, that we sit around and go, what on earth are they doing? What are they thinking? But they don't think in the same way that we do. And then Michael Roberts upped the level of the seat. Using Vicky's phone, he sent a message to himself saying, I love you, but I can't keep this up anymore. I'm going to leave you. Does he really believe that this trick will work? I imagine he would. He would think, oh, well, I'll I'll get a message. 
I'll use her phone. It makes a story that she's left me. It's given evidence to that. And that makes sense to him. And we've got to say, it makes sense to him. And he's placing himself in the role of the victim here. She's left me. She's mm. done something to me. I'm not the aggressor here. Back home, Michael carefully wrapped Vicky's body in the plastic sacks he had bought and put her in the garage and then went about his everyday life. Unsurprisingly, Vicky's parents were very worried. And on the 2nd of December, her dad rang Michael, who told him that Vicky had left him. To compound the lie, he then used Vicky's phone to send a message to her mom, telling her that she'd left Michael, but not to worry, she'd be in contact soon. Once again, is he pushing the bounds of credulity, thinking that this message, I'll be in contact soon, mom, will work? He's still in problem-solving mode, isn't he? And he's looking at what kind of behaviour is going to, to work in this situation. But it's, it's because he can't relate to other people in the same way that we relate to other people that you start to see this quite odd stuff going on. Mike, he controlled Vicky, controlled his lovers. You know, does he now feel that in this grandiosity of his mind and his arrogance that he will control this situation? Yeah, without any doubt. And he's doing the right thing. If you look at it logically, he's probably mimicking her behaviour. She would ring up and say, oh, I'm a bit busy now, Mum, I'll ring you later, as a lot of daughters and uh, children do to their parents, I'll ring you later, everything's OK. He's doing the right thing, he's giving the right kind of message. There's nothing in that message that the parents would think, oh, my God, I've got to get down there straight away. Because he will have learned from observing her behaviour with her parents as to, to what was normal, because mm. he's, he's been on the scene for quite a while, hasn't he? Well, Vicky's parents, nonetheless, were suspicious. This behaviour was out of character, and the language used in the false text message sent by Michael was not the kind that she would use or the kind that Vicky's parents recognised. So they called the police, who in turn soon contacted Michael. Oh, is that Michael? It is. Hi, Michael, it's the police here at, um, at Runcorn. Okay. Um, hi, we've had um, a phone call off um, your wife's dad. Um, right. That she's missing at the moment. Um, right. Obviously, um, we're a little bit concerned at the moment. Is there anything else that you can tell us um, as to why she's gone? Basically, um, I got a message yesterday um, saying that she's um, left me for someone else. Oh, right. Um, she's basically left me for someone else. Um, she's got her stuff with her, but all the clothes have gone. Uh, and as, as I explained to, because obviously they're a bit worried that it was, you know, like a smash and grab or something like that. Right. Um, but as bad as it sounds, I've been through everything. Her passport's gone, her driving license is gone. And so obviously, as you can imagine, I'm devastated. Okay. What I'll do, I'll, um, I'll just have a word with the sergeant and just see what he says. Obviously, I'll just tell him what you told me. Um, and um, I'll see what he says. Am I all right to give you a ring back in a bit? Yeah, sure. Well, the police did call again and they asked to meet him at his house. At that stage, you know, he agrees. But why did he agree? He must have thought that there was still, you know, with the body still in the garage, that there was a real chance he was going to be caught here. He wouldn't expect them to be searching the house at this stage. They would just be knocking on the door, asking for confirmation that she's run away. I find it interesting. He says, oh, she's run away with somebody else, another man. So, again, making him the victim. I find it interesting that he says her passport and everything else is gone. 
There's a lot of detail there. And then overemphasizing the fact I'm naturally distraught by all of this, right? If you're distraught, you exhibit distress. You don't tell people you're exhibiting distress. And he'd completely removed the possibility that he had anything to do with it. So it's not like he said in the phone call, well, I don't know anything about it. I haven't done anything to her. He kept the the possibilities very much that she had done something, that she had gone off with with another man or that, that a third party had been involved, that it was a snatch and grab. So all of this serves to distract from the fact that he's perpetrated But at this stage, the police didn't search the garage at this stage, Mike. But he appeared for the very first time to let his guard down when he became agitated and the police became a little more suspicious and planned to return again for questioning. So why was this agitation? Why was this nervousness? Could he not hold it together? It could be that the police didn't believe him. His his actions were such and his words were such that it started to rattle bells in their heads. They may not have known what they didn't like about him, but clearly there was something they didn't like about him and they would say, well, we'll come back. Well, on the second visit, the police did search the garage and, of course, find the body. And realising the game was up, Michael managed to escape and remained at large for three days. He stayed at hotels under false names, bought new clothes in an attempt to avoid the police, but all the time his actions were caught on CCTV. He then went to Wrexham and cornered a work colleague and begged her to believe that Vicky had died during a sex game gone wrong. She didn't believe him and the police were called and he was arrested. Now, if someone had died in a sex game gone wrong and it happens, why hide the body in the garage? Exactly. If it had happened that way, you, you wouldn't have seen all of that, that behaviour, that, that covering up. And for many people who, who do get into situations like that, they feel so absolutely terrible afterwards. They can't believe what they've just done. They, they don't have the presence of mind to hold it together and come up with a plan like he did. Yeah, it's what we call post-incident behaviour. When people have done something like a killing and they've not planned it, they get very anxious, very stressed by the situation, go off, get alcohol or drugs into their system, try to calm themselves down. He wasn't doing that. This is a man who used the digital world to seduce women and eventually it left a trail which led, of course, to his ultimate conviction. But what kind of social media killer do you think he is? How would you define him, Liz? Well, if you look at the the way in which he used social media, specifically in relation to, to this murder, I'd class him as an imposter. So he took Vicky's phone, he, he used her, her accounts and tried to maintain the illusion that she was still alive. And we've seen quite a few cases in which this has happened. I disagree. I see that's post incident behaviour. I see him very much a predatory character. This guy is always chasing after women, using the internet in a way to corner his his target. And I see it very much as stalking in the classic hunting role. He stalks them, he gets them in the corner, he mm. gets what he wants. I mean, I mean just, to, just to put it, I mean, Liz, this is your typology mm. of, uh, of social media killers. And I think there may be an argument for seeing a fusion, a crossover between yeah, predator and imposter. Yeah, I think there's, there's definitely room for a crossover here, but I look very specifically at their, their behaviour in terms of in relation to the killing itself. But if you look at, at what's happening beforehand, then he is using social media in terms of developing his relationships with these women. He might not be meeting them online, but he's learned that, that social media, that messaging is a really powerful tool in bombarding people with affection and attention and getting them exactly where you want them. In a perverse way, Michael still sees himself, obviously, as a victim from what we heard at court and it seems as if he feels that if Vicky hadn't confronted him 
then if she'd indulged him, she'd still be alive today. So the murder, effectively, was Vicky's fault. This is incredible, isn't it? Don't confront me and you'll still be alive. And, and this is what a lot of abusers will do. They will blame their victims. You drove me to this. Look what you made me do. It's classic S- behaviour. Stalkers do that all the time. When they're arrested by the police for stalking, they turn the story around the other way and say, it's not me that's stalking, it's her or him that's stalking me. And they become the victim. Could this murder have been avoided, Mike? I think we've got a situation where he would eventually have got violent with Vicky. I think as later on, if she hadn't challenged him now, she would have challenged him later on, he would have been violent. Whether that would end up in a series of physical domestic violence or homicide at this stage, we don't know. Yeah, I think it was inevitable that that Roberts was going to cause harm to somebody at at some point along the line because of that lack of empathy, because of that lack of guilt and that that real failure to understand how other people feel. And certainly all the traits of a psychopath, Mike. Oh, yes, without any question, this guy could be classified as a psychopath. And that makes him dangerous, makes him dangerous in terms of risk assessment and predicting when he's going to be safe to let out. What are the traits? The classic signs of a psychopath is somebody who mimics emotion doesn't actually experience emotions but mimics them. They're often very socially skilled, they're very self-confident, they're driven and they're very manipulative and they will play games with people quite happily because they don't feel guilt. They are people who will actually do things, know they're wrong and don't give a monkey's. Michael Roberts was found guilty of murder and was jailed for a minimum of 17 years. So thanks to my guests, Dr Elizabeth Yardley and Dr Mike Berry. And of course, you can watch the full documentary of Click for Murder, Michael Roberts on CBS Reality. From me, Donald McIntyre, for now, goodbye. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I am a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland, and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness, and they come in five different flavors. They're so good wild berry acai grape pineapple mango lemon and mandarin orange my favorite is the wild berry because i just i just love a berry so if you're like me and you're drinking water all day then try splash refresher it's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.